We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. Thank you for joining Ellen Hefner and I today. I'm Tamara Crabtree, the host of We Saved You a Seat podcast from Oklahoma Family Network. Ellen joined me last week to discuss her early advocacy adventures and share a little about her journey discovering that advocacy was something she needed and wanted to do. I'm excited to have you here today and to hear part of her story. I'm very curious um, about what direction you want to go with the podcast today. Are you, I mean, I can think of a hundred different directions to go with you, Ellen. I mean, it's just one podcast is not going to be enough (laughs) because I just know there is so much content and so much to your heart and so much to your passion that one is not going to be enough to capture everything. Uh, When it was brought to me, it was about the start of advocacy and leading to legislator in this journey. But like you said, there's so much more. It starts with, with the birth of my child or, you know, my aunt who's deaf. I don't, I don't know all those different pieces that is an understanding that I just one day didn't click on. It's been, it's a part of me. So I don't know. Right. Well, and that's, I think that's where I'm feeling maybe um, overwhelmed by our conversation a little, just because I know there is so much depth to the experiences that you've had, which has you to the point that you are now. Um, I never want to talk about our children, you know, without their permission and making sure that they, they know that we are having a little, little discussion about them. Well, you, well, and I, you might've heard me say this before. Um, I speak about William, like he's in the room with me, even though he's not. Because I know that my goal as a mother, not just of a mother who has a child with a disability, but I want him to have a great life. Um, And then there's a part of me that will embarrass him, not on the disability stuff, just because. (laughs) That's our role as mom, right? Yeah, of course. I guess that's really the vision that I have is to talk to you about the advocacy role that you've always had. And leading to where your journey has taken you now, running for state representative. Yeah. State representative. House District 87. 87. It, I mean, I didn't know that I would love this so much, knocking on doors and meeting strangers. I absolutely love it. Um, meeting people and just listening. Um, what's going on? What do you need? Um, I'm here. And uh, so I really enjoy it. I get tingles just thinking about it. Um, there are some hard doors, but I really enjoy it. So now at my ripe old age of 53, I'm able to find something that puts all these pieces together, things that I've learned, things that I've, things that I've experienced, um, things that I know because of experience that is all put together where my voice might have a a nice megaphone or a platform for the people that we serve. I think this is a great segue into kind of talking about that 
why we need advocates, why why you want to be the advocate that you are um, that you are and have been up to this point. Let's first start with Oklahoma Family Network, which uh, which kind of was that kind of your first platform for advocacy work, or had you done advocacy work long before that? Um, no, uh, William was born, and uh, a nurse told me about Sooner Start, which is the early intervention program that we have here in the state. You know, I'm a mom, third child. I was like, I don't need that. I I got this. And when I got home, I immediately found out that I didn't. And uh, we were we went back to the hospital and we stayed for a while. And I called right away, Sooner Start. And when they came into the home, I was sitting up on the couch looking at the therapist. And I was like, so bright eyed, like, what are you going to teach me about how to what you're going to do everything. Let me see this magic work. And she looked at me and she goes, um, I'm only here for an hour and I'm going to teach you what to do between the time that I'm here and the time I come back. It was almost like a light bulb in my head that, oh, this is my job. It, you're going to let me be a mother with all my experience of being a mom with something else. And that's how it started. Um, she told me that I was the advocate for my child just right off the bat. But after seven months, we are on the road to putting all the information we can and figuring it out with the therapist. And she gives me this piece of paper and she said, You're, you, know, you like the services of Sooner Start. Why don't you go up to the Capitol and tell your senator and representative? And I was like, no, 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 that's not for me. I can't do this. I'm going to stay at home you know, and I'm going to be um, a mom to my kids and um, a partner to my husband in our business. And I'm good here. But she, she told me to go up there and right off the bat, you know, um, I met Teresa Lansdowne, who was the head of the interagency coordinating council. They worked together for Sooner Start. And she said, could you go to a stakeholder meeting? And uh, Joni Bruce was there and Heather Pike, I believe, was there. And here I'm just like, no makeup, you know, mom hair with a, a, a stroller and my husband that's in shock too, because I'm telling him to come up there and the other two kids in tow. And so we got connected and uh, it was after that, that I started coming to more meetings and seeing how, you know, putting in my schedule, oh, I want to see what's going on with this. And learning and reading and understanding what's an IFSP. And once William got into a three-year-old program, so it was a couple of years of me just growing and being put on meetings, um, then they hired me. And through those years too of OFN, you know, we were uh, going up to the Capitol, waiting list, uh, um, taking partners in policymaking, connecting with other families, uh, sitting on, you know, in meetings that you wonder why you got selected. And then I'm sitting next to a, a really good friend of mine whose child had the same diagnosis as my son. And I never met anyone who had that same diagnosis. And it's all these sort of layers of, of really great stuff that's developed me into a better advocate for families, but um, I'm still learning as well. I, I think that self-advocates have taught me everything about how to be a better advocate. And um, that's included in that is patience and listening. And at times to say, okay, I'm, I, I might've had that wrong. The changing over the years of 
you know, where we are with our kids and um, the development that they go through. And I think that the collaborative work we do as advocates, you know, when we cannot build it something and then say, hey, does it work for you? You have to include all the pieces. It's all the voices have to be heard. There's room for all of us. I, I champion the advocates who wouldn't stop in trying to get uh, the ABLE Act passed. Thank you. You know, and there's so much, many different parts in this disability world of where we can um, support each other and where we need, we have a lot of holes that need to be filled. Uh, last night, I got this sweet message from a mentor of mine. She realizes how hard I'm working in this this campaign and she's proud of me. And she's a mentor. She was one of my teachers, uh, Diana McCalman in uh, Partners in Policymaking. I don't know if I would be doing this if there wasn't her support from far away or those little nudges of, you got this girl, you got this, um, with other friends as well. Uh, Roseanne Duplan, uh, she is a dear friend that when I thought about this, about running, she supportive, uh, tells me, just the, the conversation we had, she's way smarter than me. And I'm going to rely on all of them when I get elected to, to help the people here in Oklahoma who have a disability and the services that they are or are not receiving. But all of us together, we, we can't do this alone. And I think that that's an understanding that advocates have. We're in this together. And even though my voice may be important as a parent, my son's voice is important now as he's 18 um, things that I've had plans for him, he said, you know what, wait, mom, I don't really want to do that. And it was, it's much easier when they're younger and you have your, you can, <laughs> now he's got these ideas. And when he tells me about his full life that he wants, he, he wants to get married and he wants to have a home of his own. He wants to maybe have kids, you know, all of a sudden that I start to get a little nervous and that part of me that squeezes my heart just a little bit thinking about, oh my gosh, you know, the, all the supports or help that he's going to need. And then I relax a bit and go, okay, we, we can do this. This is something that it takes planning, but I'm not going to take it out of his dream. Uh, and it's because of all these advocates, this conversation we're having is, you know, may someone may hear something out there that's an advocate that could have something that I don't know about. I don't know. I think it's all woven together. Well, let me ask you this. When someone comes to you looking for something, do they look to you and say, well, what is your child's disability? Or do they just consider it, hey, you know what, we're on the same playing field and let's let's go and fight this fight together? I, I think disability is disability. When we... Um, when I was in that first partners class, partners in policymaking, they had all these big white sheets up on the wall. And, you, you know, parents were going around the room or, or, uh, and talking about their child's disability. And Williams wasn't even brought up. He's got um, a few rare ones. And you'd see all these people that, that would clump together with their disability, the sameness, you know. And I used to be in the national, uh, it's a rare uh, syndrome, and we would plan our vacations around seeing, you know, these families. There's one other person here in Oklahoma that has the same syndrome as William that we know of, but 
that's not it. I, I always go with that one idea of that speed dating. There's this understanding of that, uh, there, there's some extra. And I think that moving forward, we should not specifically rely on that disability diagnosis, but talk about what supports do you need? It would make things clear for families if we would talk in that language instead of, you know, oh, my child is this, 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 and this. Let's talk about what supports for that child. Um, in the work that I do um, as a special needs consultant now and talk to families, um, I hear parents just, you know, talk about all the things their child cannot do maybe let's talk in those needs. And um, and now that William's 18, maybe he talks about his needs. He knows that he, one thing that he knows is transportation. And so this gets me so excited, um, you know, talking to other community leaders about, even though that's a city issue, um, that's under the city, but there can, can be some other state programs that could help with transportation. How do we do it? So talking, it doesn't matter what diagnosis William needs. If we seriously get down to what his support is, it's the same as a lot of other people in Oklahoma City who don't have a car or can't drive. That's the same need of a lot of people who don't have a disability. I think that's how we as advocates can work with other community leaders to, to find those places, that those missing holes. It doesn't have to be stamped with disability or a diagnosis for it to work. Um, if we stuck on that diagnosis and didn't have a plan, we wouldn't be moving anywhere. We wouldn't be going to school or finding a DD classroom or getting to Sooner Start. It's, it's all that diagnosis is just that first step in the rest of your plan. Um, William's diagnosis and um, his disability has kind of taken us in this, this road, but that doesn't mean that's all he is. I tell him, you know, that there's this great story and it's going to make me cry just thinking of it. <laughs> and it's with Heather Pike. Um, you know, they would give IQ tests at school. And even though her and I had both given many support, we were, you know, we give support to other people and we speak in front of people and, you know, thinking that we're really brave and strong and immune to this, but we're not. We hear that number, what they give our child is an IQ test. And we hear it. And we both like think, oh my gosh, it's just a moment of um, what's his life going to be like? And then we forget. And then I forget, you know, they didn't give William the right test of all the things he does now. And it brings that hope back in you that you say, okay, an IQ test is for the general population. Um, what they don't know is that William is so right in so many other things that doesn't align with what the general population thinks is smart or great or IQ or whatever. His intelligence is not based on that test. And so we have to take a step back. William by no means disappoints me um, at all. I am so happy I he changed my life as did the other two. It's just that moment of what the society expects, what their requirements are, which are not the requirements that he needs for his happy life. That's maybe why I'm running too, um, is I hear on the floor, representatives that have said things that are not in his future. Um, he will not be institutionalized. He will have a job. He will have a happy life. 
I have to encourage that voice out of them instead of the other side of dependent and vulnerable adult he may be, but vulnerable is not his future because of the friends that I have or the advocates that I work with. You know, there is going to be, a, a Oklahoma is going to see a better future. That waiting list, we're not waiting for funds. What we are waiting on are better services to serve our people with that money. And so I want to be that voice for all the, for all Oklahomans, um, not just those who have a disability. It has everything to do with us reframing what our vision is for our child. And, um, and that was me. Um, and it is me thinking that, gosh, some days are hard, um, but they're not hard because of William. It's just hard sometimes the extra or the, the walls that we come across. It's a different path. Yesterday, I called on some very bright people. I called, um, everyone loves Wanda Felty. I do. And um, I called her and asked her a question, but even though I know Wanda, she'll answer me. Um, she'll answer a lot of people, but that's one person, you know, what if I wasn't a mom that was able to reach out? Why is it made so hard to get the information we need? Or actually, sometimes we hear several different things and it's not a clear message out there. And of course, when we're already um, dealing with some hard parts of our life, whether it has to be with two extra doctors or medication or refill or, you know, money, uh, insurance, you know, all these things sort of, we can't even find where to go for, for help. Sometimes people think that it's help just with money, monetarily having some sort of service. That's not necessarily true. I, I hear all the time that some of the things that I talk about and in life for people after 18 who have a disability, people have never heard about, you know, social security, um, SSI, uh, supplemental uh, security income. Uh, that is something that a lot of people know about, but it's difficult. Um, it's not easy. It doesn't mean that it can't be done. It's just a lot. Sometimes they just don't even have the bandwidth or the mental capacity or, you know, all those key terms that we're talking about now because there's just so much pressure um, to try to pick up the phone and find the next person who is not going to have the right answer that might lead me to the direction of having an answer for me. So it's just a lot. I, I used to say um, that uh, crisis living was my sweet spot. Crisis living should never be anyone's sweet spot. Um, it's what I know. I do it very well. Um, you know, the something happens and I get a phone call from a teacher or paramedic or um, the hospital. Um, it's almost like I get into this very cool, chill zone. Um, everything sort of just becomes very pinhole to me. Like I see the pro I see what's going on and I know the next steps, but I don't want to stay there. I don't want to keep looking around the corner. Um, it, when something happens, life happens. Um, I'm, I, I, I know how to navigate that, but I, I don't want to live in that place anymore. And as, and as parents, sometimes we do live with all that noise and crisis and supports that are available may have gone away and there's new ones available. Um, so keeping up to date with all of that as well would be hard, but I think that that's where advocacy comes in and help 
that you find the people that you can trust or organizations that you can ask questions to, that they keep up to date on those as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405-271-5072.